Morning. It's good to good to be here. Good to preach again from this stage. Uh, I had to remember how to turn on a mic and those new things. Uh, we're in our series called Foundations, and I'm wondering, have you ever gone to a sporting event with someone that doesn't know the sport and had to explain it to them? Remember when I first uh, took Joshua and Carter, especially Joshua at first, to the hockey game? Um, we had to go through, and every time there was a whistle, and here's a picture from that, every time there was a whistle blown, I had to explain, okay, this is what's happening, and why did they stop playing? Well, that's offsides, and, and why was that whistle blown? Well, that's, uh, that was icing, and, and why is that guy going in that special individual box for him? Well, that's a penalty. And so without the foundation, as a young child, of knowing what happens in uh, hockey, he needed some explaining. It didn't really make sense. Have you ever gone to a movie late and wondered what's happening? I remember uh, when we were in college, there was this movie that everybody said, Phil, Sandy, you guys have to go see it. And so we went, and we got there about 20, 30 minutes late. And we were so confused. And at the end of the movie, we said, I don't get why in the world other people said this is a good movie. That movie was horrible. Then I went back later when it came back on video. This is back when they had VHS and I popped the VHS and I watched the whole thing and it all made sense. And I was like, wow, that was a really good movie. But without the foundation of knowing what was happening, I was really confused. More recently, we had uh, someone recommend a TV show to us. So we said, all right, sweet. So we, we put it on and it was midway through season two and we were so confused. We didn't know who was who and, and what their relationships were with each other and everything at the end. We said, that's just not worth it. Let's just, that's the last episode we're going to watch because without knowing what was going on, without knowing the beginning, it made it really difficult to know what was happening in the show. Well, we're in this series called Foundations, and we'll be going through the Bible in one year. And as we've explained, we're taking the first six weeks to really dive into the beginning of the book of Genesis to lay the groundwork for the series. Once we get to Exodus in two weeks, we're going to have the sermons be from the reading every week. So as you're doing your reading, uh, you can try and guess. I wonder which sermon Phil's going to preach on. I should do something like the first person to guess the right passage gets a Snickers bar or something like that. But as you do the reading during the week, you're going to go, okay, from here, some, Phil's going to preach something. But as we're getting ready to go into that, we wanted to lay the framework and in all the different topics in our society, there's a lot of confusion. And so as we go through the Bible, we're hoping the Scriptures will be a lens that you can look at through life. And as we've been thinking through this beginning of the series, one of our elders had a great idea of looking at Genesis 1 to 3 and looking at the foundations that those provide for all of life. And so I want to give Keith DeBoer credit for this idea, but we're going to dive into that today. So let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need the Word of God to be our foundation for life. Lord, these first three chapters lay a framework that's helpful for the rest of the Scriptures, for us to understand them correctly. And Lord, the Scriptures lay a framework for us to understand life. And right now, there's so much confusion out in the world. We live in a very polarized society. We need to go to Your Word to find truth. Lord, I just pray as I preach today that You would guide my words be grace and truth, and that your word will help us to conform to your will and your purpose. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to look at five foundations from Genesis 1 to 3 that help us both in life 
but also help us to understand the rest of the scriptures. The first one is creation. In the very first verse of the Bible, we are introduced to the main character of the scriptures. God. In the beginning, God. The Bible is a story of God, His glory, and His creation. As we read through the stories of Noah and Abraham and, and Moses and, and David and all these stories all throughout the Old Testament into the New, what we find is that they're not the main character. It's interesting to read the life of Abraham and what happens. It's interesting to read the life of David and all the ups and downs and everything that goes on. But the main character of all those stories is God. The God who loves us and created us to be in a relationship with Him. And even in the midst of our failures and our mistakes, that God still calls us to be reconciled to Himself. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 teaches us that God created everything. The the universe and all the galaxies that exist. The sun, moon, and the stars. The sky and the sea. Land, plants, fruit, beautiful landscapes. We went on vacation. We went over to the east coast on the beach. And I remember waking up in the morning and doing my devotions with the sunrise out in the ocean. It was beautiful. And you can't help but stand in awe of what God has done. On the way back, as the weather was changing, when we got high in the mountains, the colors were changing. We saw the beautiful colors that God has created. It all points to our Creator. He created the fish and the birds and the animals. And He created mankind in His own image. And that's why we're pro-life. And that's why we talk so much about being pro-life. is because we believe the unborn is made, are made in God's image. And that's why we need to care about things like racism because people are made in the image of God. And so we value people. So as we looked a few weeks ago, everything in creation points to a designer. The theory of evolution falls short as we looked at a couple weeks ago. Interestingly enough, I was reading an article this week and uh, one of the main uh, evolutionists who I think received the Nobel Peace Prize with um, Richard Dawkins He said that before the Big Bang, there was another Big Bang. And so there was this other Big Bang that happened previously, and that's what led to the materials that ended up having, we had to have this Big Bang. But then I, again, asked the question that every evolutionist has to answer, how did something that, how was something eternal? Because something has to be eternal. Because for something to create a Big Bang, there has to be something that exists. And so they still lack a good answer to that question, and I think I have the best answer, God is eternal, and He created everything. And if you want to go back and look at that sermon for a couple weeks ago, you can look at that and just the different evidences for that. But we believe that God created everything, including us, with a purpose. And it helps us to walk through life and have meaning and value when we face the chaos of everyday life. Which leads me to the next foundation. Because God created us with a purpose, we're called to be good stewards. There's this principle of stewardship. God is the main character, but He created mankind in His own image to do His work and His His will in the world that He created. Mankind is called to lovingly care for this creation, to have dominion and rule over the creatures, to care for and develop it, to name the animals. Mankind was to represent God here on earth. In Genesis 1, 26-30, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, 
in our own in our, in our image, sorry, in our likeness. Notice the plural. There's a trinity working there. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of all the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. We have a mandate from our Creator to take care of our creation. I think sometimes we we forget that. That God has put us here to to care and, and tend to this earth. But as we think about the idea of stewardship, Although the stewardship over creation leaps off the pages of Genesis 1 and 2, stewardship of other things leaps off the pages of the rest of the Scriptures. First, when I think about stewardship, one of the most important things is we need to be stewards of our time. Of our time. Time is one of the most valuable commodities that we have in this life. Think, where, where do you spend your time? How many hours a day were you on your phone or scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or other social media sites? We only have limited time with our kids. I'm, I'm struck with the reality that my son is going to be a sixth grader next year. That's middle school. And that time goes down. And so as that time goes down, we have to think through, am I being, am I being purposeful in the time that I have with my kids? Even as we think about time, am I, am I being purposeful in Rest. When I did the sermon on creation a couple weeks ago, I was really challenged um, by the fact that I had neglected Sabbath rest. And in Genesis 2-2, by the seventh day, God finished the work He had been doing, and on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, He rested from the work of creating what he, that He had done. The Ten Commandments were told to take a Sabbath and Jesus even said the Sabbath is made for the man. man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. God created Sabbath for us to pause and to rest, to reflect on creation, to be with Him. And so even as I was doing this sermon, I was convicted. And so I, Sandy and I created a new plan to take a different day off than we've been taking so I can make sure that I have that Sabbath day of rest to give back to the Lord and to spend time with Him and to spend time resting. And we see other areas of stewardship in the scriptures we need to be good stewards of our resources i I think the two easiest way to tell what your priorities are where you spend your time and where you spend your money where do you spend your time where do you spend your money that often shows you where your priorities lie do you give back to god your first fruits god has blessed us as americans with so many different resources do you see everything that you own as something that's his to be used for his glory Everything, your, your house, your car, your lawnmower, your rake, the money that you get from your paycheck, is it all His and do you give back to Him the first fruits? And Genesis, we see right after Genesis 3, Genesis 4, we see that Cain and Abel brought gifts to the Lord, but Cain didn't obey God and what kind of gifts to bring. And as Abel was praised for the gifts that he brought, Cain was angry and murdered his brother. 
So from the very beginning, this idea of holding on to our own stuff and, and not giving back to God what is His has been a problem. And we struggle with that. Are we good stewards of our resources? We need to be good stewards of our relationships. I love, I encourage you, if you're not in a D group, I, I would want to really encourage you to get in one. I'd love to have you, to help you find one. But these two questions are helpful to me every week in my D group. First, have you been intentional in your closest relationships this week? Spouse, children, parents, closest friends. If you're married, have you loved your wife in her primary love language? So every week I have to go back and look and think through, did I give my wife quality time? Quality meaning undivided, giving her attention, not watching the football game and going, yes, Sandy, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Touchdown! You know, that's not quality time, even though that's my favorite kind of time. But, <laughs> but then I spend quality time with my son watching the football game and we're cheering together and that is quality time. But with my wife, watching the football game is not quality time. So I have to think through... Uh, am I being intentional in my closest relationships? Am I being intentional in my relationship with my boys and, and the things that I do with them? The second question, have you shared the gospel, shared your story, or taken intentional steps toward that end by building a relationship with an unbeliever this week? That's one of the main reasons I chose to coach soccer, just so I could start to have build relationships with people outside the church that I could point them to Jesus. So think too, how are you being good stewards of your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your roommates, your co-workers, your neighbors? Are you stewarding your relationships well on social media? Are the things you posting, are they leading people to be more open to the gospel or more closed to it? Are you building bridges or building walls? And I want to take an aside to, I think, kind of address something. I haven't addressed this directly in a sermon uh, at all yet, but I want to address it today. As elders, we're called to be good stewards of the church. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. This last six months has been uh, one of the most difficult months to be a pastor in Many of my friends' lives, as I've talked to a lot of my friends who are pastors here, many of them have been at the same church for 30 years. They've said this has been the toughest year that they've ever had to go through as a pastor. 68% of pastors right now uh, have felt overwhelmed regularly in the last four weeks. We live in a time where everything is polarized. Masks, no masks. Politics, racial issues. covid while you're on vacation, I watched the presidential debate and saw just, it was sad. And afterward, I said, I said to Sandy, I said, you know what? I shouldn't be surprised because that's what I've been watching on my social media feed for the last six months. People accusing the other of the worst possible part of their position, not listening to each other, talking over each other, calling each other names. It was just indicative of the life that we are facing, the difficulties we're facing. And as we face this pandemic, everybody has different opinions about how serious it is or not serious it is. Uh, people have told me this is just a farce. And um, I just want to share a picture. Uh, this is Dick and Bobby Ostraker, uh, missionaries with Send for years, good friends of my family. Uh, they both contracted COVID. Bobby passed away first. Dick about a week and a half later. Um, I know a, a good friend from my church that I grew up in, 
that would send me a birthday card every year. Uh, this first year I didn't get a birthday card. There are people that are really affected by this. And as losing a loved one, I think of John Fox in our congregation who lost his father. Um, calling it a farce is a little bit too much. Now, can we say that the media has overplayed it? Yes. Can we say that it's not as dangerous as we thought? Yes. Can we say that if you're healthy and young, it's probably not going to affect you very much? Yes. But as elders of the church, we have to realize that the most vulnerable are those that are over 80, and we have a lot of people in our church that are over 80. We have people that are in the midst of chemo treatments. We have people that have immune system compromises. And so how do we make decisions as an elder team? And you can just go to the black screen there. But it becomes difficult because everybody has such strong opinions about masks or no masks or this is really serious or not really serious. And no matter what we do as leaders, we're going to fall in the wrong place for someone. And so then as leaders, what do we do? We seek to do our best to create the best procedures to protect our people and know that it's going to make some people upset. And frankly, that stinks. I hate conflict, I'll be honest. I really don't like it. And so the last six months hasn't been very fun because I don't like writing a letter that I know people are going to be upset about. And it's just part of navigating what we're navigating right now. And it's difficult. One person told me they believe that masks are of the devil. And I don't know about that, but I will tell you this. The devil is using masks to divide us and to, to cause division in the church that shouldn't exist. So unity... Since I've been coming here, what I've been saying, we need to be unified around God's Word and around His mission. Around God's Word and around His mission. Around God's Word and His mission. That's what causes us to unify. To be around the purpose that God has called us to do. To make disciples of all the nations to the ends of the earth. And yet we're getting caught up in discussions about masks. I mean, I know in First Opinions 2.6 it says something about masks, but the rest of the Bible doesn't have anything about it. Now, now even as you look in the world, I mean, there's, there's division about whether masks are effective or not. Now, if you look at the world, only the ones in blue are the nations that don't have masks required, at least in some spaces. So it's not a Democrat versus Republican issue. Okay, for those that think this is a liberal virus, this is the whole world. There's no, I mean, I don't know if anywhere else has Democrats and Republicans. But the point is, it's not, if you think masks are effective or don't think masks are effective, the point is we're to love each other and to pursue the mission that God has called us to do. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. And so if you think masks are pointless and stupid... Come to church. We still love you. We still want to worship with you. If you think they're effective and, and we need to all wear them all the time, come to church. We want you to be here. We're in this together. We get lost in all the fray and lose sight that right next to you is your brother and sister in Christ. We talk so much during the season about rights. Our rights. But as Christians, we're called to lay down our rights for our brothers and sisters. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others.
Can I just say, man, I long for the day where we can not have masks and we can gather and not social distance and we can have the whole service together and we can worship together and, and we have all the singing and I long for that day. But at the same time, I want to be careful and protect those that are vulnerable from this thing that is real. And it might be less dangerous than we thought. So I just encourage you, as you consider all these things, to be gracious, be patient, and let's unite together to come together as one body to make disciples of all the nations. All right. I can go back to the regular scheduled program. Third principle, marriage. Genesis 2.24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife and they become one flesh. God designed marriage to be one man with one woman for one life. Eve is created from Adam and he's to be the loving leader of the pair. They are to leave their father and their and mother and to establish a home. They are to cleave together. Leave and cleave. Become one flesh. Become united in marriage. And they are to reproduce and fill the earth if God so allows them to do. This is God's design. Now today, marriage sexuality and sex have been redefined and undermined by our culture and when the government had a new thing and redefined marriage the whole church got really upset and and i just want to tell you this guess what uh the government doesn't get to define marriage god defined marriage in his word so no matter what the government says no matter what our culture says god has still defined what marriage is he's created it he's given it a purpose So no matter how much everybody tries to redefine the words, God has created this clear picture. This idea in Ephesians 5 of mutual submission of of the husband lovingly, sacrificially leading the wife, of the wife respecting the husband of this beautiful picture of mutual sacrifice and love for each other, of placing each other above themselves, just like we looked at in Philippians 2. And so this foundation given in Genesis for marriage helps us to interpret what we see in the world. Fourth, sin. Last week, Pastor John preached on Genesis 3 in the fall. Genesis 3 reveals the story of man's disobedience and rebellion against God. But when we understand the fall and its consequences, it really helps us to see life. As we wear masks and we face a global pandemic, we mourn because we're experiencing the effects of the fall. When we experience the death of a loved one, we mourn because we experience the effects of of the fall. When we experience suffering and disease, guilt and pain, insecurity and broken relationships, we mourn because we're experiencing the effects of the fall. When we're naturally sinful and and we seek our own desires above others and above the Lord's desire for our life, we mourn because we're experiencing the effects of the fall. We see the consequences of the fall every single day and the brokenness that exists around us. But it helps us understand. When we understand the fall, we understand that as Christians we can mourn death, knowing that it's not how it's supposed to be, and and look forward to restoration which God will bring. And that points us to the fifth thing, redemption. Immediately after sin is introduced, so also is the concept of redemption. God is not going to give up on His world. In fact, God loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have everlasting life. 
God Himself entered into our brokenness, experienced hunger and thirst, pain and sorrow, grief and loss, to provide a way for us to be restored into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And one day, He will bring about complete redemption. We see it right in Genesis 3, right after the sin entered the world. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's this covenant promise that one day Messiah is going to come. And then we see it again and again. Abraham, through your descendant, all will be blessed. The promise of the coming Messiah. David, the promise of the coming Messiah. Jeremiah, the promise of the new covenant. As we read through the Old Testament, look for it. You'll see the pictures of Jesus who will come. And in fact, after this in Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And And last week John talked about to make... These garments, God would have to have a sacrifice. There would have to be an animal that would die to cover their sin, to provide them with clothes. And that points, as we see the rest of the Old Testament, we see the need for a sacrifice for our sins. All pointing forward to the Messiah that would come as our sacrifice. So when we look at Genesis 1-3, we see these five foundations Creation, that God created everything. And although sin has marred creation, we are still to be thankful and be good stewards of it. To be good stewards of our time and our resources and our relationships. And stewardship. Because God created things and, and called us to be stewards of it, that we need to take that responsibility seriously. Marriage. God defined marriage and gave it a purpose. We need to honor God in our marriages, but also in our sexuality. Sin. Sin has corrupted all of creation, and we experience the effect of living in this fallen world daily. But understanding the fall helps us to understand why Jesus had to come. And lastly, redemption. Jesus provided a way to be in a restored relationship with Jesus. And if you, if you don't have that relationship, I'd love to have you come talk to me after the service. I'd love to tell you how you can be in a restored relationship with Jesus. Because we live in a broken and fallen world, and we can't... We, find seeking for purpose and all these other things, and none of them satisfy because satisfaction can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to bring restoration to your life and to your heart, and He provides redemption. (coughs) All these five foundations are crucial to us as we read through the Scriptures, but they are also foundational for our lives. As we live in a broken and fallen world, believers, filled with the Holy Spirit, can live out God's kingdom principles and be purveyors of God's love and justice here in the world. And so with all that, I only have one application today. And I'm hoping you can remember it. When I was in uh, Myrtle Beach, um, I used to, when I would go to the beach, I would just take my glasses off and I couldn't see anything, but it was fine. But now I have to watch the kids and make sure they don't drown. It's kind of like an extra important step when you have little kids. And so I don't want to lose my glasses in the, in the waves. And so I got contacts. And I actually got them for hockey, but that didn't work out. So they're beach contacts. Um, and so 
when I first went out, I remember that first day I was squinting. You know, it's hard to see with the sun and everything. And so I went to the, the place near us and I bought a cheap pair of sunglasses. And like normally happens, the reason why I had to buy a cheap pair of sunglasses is because my kids borrowed my sunglasses and lost them. And so today I was looking for my sunglasses that I bought at Myrtle Beach, and my kids have borrowed them and lost them. So I had to find these. Somebody left these at our house. So if these are your sunglasses, um, you can get them after the second service. I don't know whose they are, but someone left them in our house. But these are sunglasses, and uh, for the purpose of the demonstration, I can't see anything now, so I'm just going to put my regular glasses back on. But as I put sunglasses on, what happened was I no longer had to squint. I could see clearer. Everything was a little bit darker. There wasn't the reflections coming off the waves. It just made me see everything a little clearer. Well, as Christians, we're called to develop a biblical worldview. And what that means is is we're called to essentially see all of the world, everything we experience, through the lens of the Scriptures. And And so as we face a pandemic, as we face all these things, we're supposed to look at those things through the lens of Scriptures. And so my challenge to you today is as we do this foundation series, you have an opportunity to open up God's Word every single day and dive into it, to go through the whole Bible, not every single chapter, but every week. And so my, uh, I don't have my phone on me, it's down there. My, my D group, what we do, I uh, either use the book or use my phone. You can find the F260 reading plan on your phone and your Bible app. And so every day when I go on, I check to see if the other guys in my group have done it. And uh, there's been a couple times where I've noticed one person's missed three days in a row. So you text them, hey man, notice you, you missed the reading. Um, encourage you to do that today. Um, during vacation, I got called out because I missed a couple days in a row. So um, it's been really helpful for our D group. But, but here's why it's more important than just opening the Bible and reading it. There's so many voices out there. And now they're loud and they're everywhere. And as you open up social media... Every day you have competing voices that are going to compete to tell you how you should interpret life. As you go to school, you're going to have different teachers that have different worldviews that are going to try and teach you this is what, how you should look at life. As you go to work, you're going to work with different people, different bosses that will say this is how you interpret life. Without the foundation that the Scriptures provide, you'll be lacking a clear lens. You'll be squinting at life and trying to figure out what to do and trying to figure out what the next step is. I encourage you to put on the lens of the Scriptures. And if you're not reading God's Word daily, here's the thing. More than any other discipline, any other spiritual discipline that exists, if you read God's Word every day, studies have shown it empirically that you'll, you'll be uh, more joyful, you'll, you'll have more victory over sin, you'll struggle with temptation less, you'll, um, you'll have a brighter prayer life, I don't say this to say, okay, well, now I'm just going to check the box off and I'm just going to open up God's Word and I'm going to read it real quick and then I'm going to be done for the day. We can all do that. We've all probably done that at times in our life. But to actually stop and apply it. I love the foundation books, the questions they ask each day to just guide my thinking and and think through stuff. But just to stop and apply God's Word. Because as we face all these various things that we're encountering now, we need a foundation. You know, we were in our D group time, we were talking about, man, wouldn't it be cool to have if God told you, like, audibly something? You know, we were looking at the life of Abraham, and uh, God told him to do this, and then God told Jacob, do this. Now, 
it would be cool. I would love it if God just, you know, spoke audibly. And I assume God is a bass. Like, I'm assuming he's like, Phil. Not like, and just be weird if God was a tenor. Like, Phil, hey, guess what? Um, but it'd be cool to do that. But I think about like the life of Jacob where God talked to him a few times in his very, very long life. And yet, what I have here is God's very word written to me to know what to do. So every day I can hear God's voice by opening His Word and studying it. I can conform to His will and His purposes. And my, my one thing that God tells me isn't about a renewal of the covenant. I have 66 books written by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages over a period of 1,500 years going over all different types of scenarios to say this is how you live your life. This is what we build our foundation on. This is what holds us together. And so when we talk about unity as a church, we need to be united around His Word and His mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, You are good. And You do good. Lord, in a moment here, we're going to Celebrate communion. We're going to stop and reflect about how You entered this broken and sinful and messed up and world that, that has problems and how You came to the world and experienced all these things and suffered and died so that we could be restored to a right relationship with You. And so Lord, we, we thank You for that. We thank You that we can stop and pause confess our sins, and know that You are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to live a life with the firm foundation of our relationship with You and conforming to Your Word. In Your name we pray. Amen.